Have you ever wondered what the effects of living in a foster home have on kids? Well, today you're going to find out. My guest is Tori Hope Peterson, who lived in a total of 12 foster homes. She's here to tell us what those experiences were like. Not only did Tori overcome much of the pain of moving from one home to another, she went on to be All-American in track and field. And recently, she wrote Fostered, one woman's powerful story of finding faith and family through foster care. Thanks so much for coming. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. You bet. Now, you wrote a book, Fostered, and what prompted you to write it? Give us a little uh, background about the book. When I started writing it, so the book I started writing probably about four years ago, and I mm -hmm. thought I wanted to write a book for kids in foster care, or uh, I guess adults who had experienced the foster care system. I wanted to give them hope and let them know that they weren't alone, that there was a purpose and plan for their life. And then as I continued to write and share bits of pieces of it before it published, I realized that I was educating people who wanted to be involved in the foster care system, people in the foster care system who wanted to know more from a former foster youth's perspective. Why I started writing it, it's definitely expanded to the intentions, the original intentions of the book. Um, and I think only God can do that. So I'm very yeah. grateful for for what it's done with even without my intention. Yep. You know what? Isn't that God? It always you start out in one direction, and then all of a sudden you turn a little left and you turn a little right. So, um, well, wonderful. You have a pretty powerful story, Tori. You are track and field all American um, athlete, and yet you were uh, in a foster home yourself, weren't you? Yes, I lived throughout twelve different foster homes, um, and I was able to go to college and. I ran track. My track coach came into my life my junior year of high school and between my junior and senior year. And he just encouraged me and he said, Tori, I think you can go on to the state track meet and I think you can win it. And I thought that was kind of a crazy idea. But um, if it didn't work out, I was just going to blame him because it was his crazy idea. <laughs> and throughout that, throughout that, we became mm -hmm. really close. Um, and that year I went on to be a four-time state champion, which allowed me to go to college then and become an All-American. Awesome. Awesome. Well, if we could rewind a little bit back into your childhood, when did you first go into foster care and why did you first go there? So I first went into the foster care system due to a drug bust. Um, I was about three or four years old. But I was reunited with my mom just months later. And as I got older, my mom's mental illness, it got worse. So I had to re-enter the foster care system um, as an adolescent, uh, this time my sister. And we, um, we were there for, you know, we were in the same home for about a month, but then we were separated. And I moved through 12 homes throughout my entire foster care journey. Wow. Now, how old were you the last time you saw your biologic mother? Oh, well, I still have a relationship with my biological mother. I love her. She's one of my heroes. I believe that she tried her very best to be a good mom. But, you know, just like me, she struggles with a lot of things. And I just think that she struggles. She had more, more troubles healing from those things 
which is eventually what led me and my sister to go into the foster care system. But I still talk to her. I love her and I forgive her. Yeah. Wow. Now you went to 12 different foster homes. Why did you jump around so much? Just educate those of us who sort of know the foster care system, but we look at it from the outside. We've never been on the inside. Why did you move around so much? So the foster care system has a lot of rules to protect themselves. You know, some I was kind of viewed as a liability. That's what they said. And so I wasn't allowed to do things that my peers were allowed to do. For example, I wasn't allowed to go to a football game on Friday night. Um, I wasn't allowed to go to a friend's house unless their parents had background and fingerprints and proof of license and insurance. And so mm. I would usually sneak out or if I was allowed to go somewhere for a short amount of time, then I'd go somewhere um, after. And it was I was never involved in like drugs or alcohol. And I didn't hang around kids who were involved in negative things, but I was still breaking the rules. And that can cost a foster parent their foster care license. And a lot of foster parents, they go in to foster children, uh, babies. Okay. When I was a teenager, um, we know that, you know, a large part of the foster care community is also the infertility community. And mm -hmm. uh, oftentimes they, they want babies. And so mm -hmm. people didn't want to lose their license. Um, over a teenager when I was breaking rules. So some of that was, you know, it was my fault. And then there were homes where there was abuse. Um, there were homes where it really just wasn't a good fit. And I asked to move on or the foster parent asked me to move on. So there's many different reasons. Mm -hmm. Tell us about your worst experience in a foster home and your best experience in a foster home. My worst experience in See, I believe that, oh, oh, let me tell you this. Okay, here's my worst experience in the foster care system. Mm -hmm. It was my 11th home, and these parents, they proclaimed Jesus' name. They um, read their Bible. We did devotions at the dinner table, and they took me to church every Sunday, and I started to be curious, more curious about who God was. And I really started to be drawn toward his, his character um, from learning about him in church and the devotions. But then my foster mom would do very terrible things to her adopted son, very abusive. And mm. um, that really, I guess, drew me away from God. Um, I mm -hmm. kind of didn't want anything to do with him because I didn't understand how his people could hurt, be so hurtful, but they proclaim love and they proclaim this loving God. And in that, you know, I reported that abuse and I wasn't believed. And there was a, another time Ugh. where I reported abuse and I wasn't believed. And so it was kind of happening like all over again. Mm. Um, mm. And so that was just really, I think that was probably like the worst, the worst part. Mm. But then in my next foster home, I would say my best, my best was that I went on to my 12th foster home. There was a my foster mom and she loved me so well. She proclaimed the name of Jesus to me to church every Sunday and she revealed to me that um you know we as believers as disciples can be more consistent we're not perfectly consistent um but that we can live lives that look like Jesus and even though mm -hmm. I I wanted to say like even though that was really one of the worst parts of being in the foster care system I do feel like God has made it made it good because he's shown me that there's kind of two ways, you know, that we can 
proclaim the name of Jesus. We can do it in a way that where we walk out his his character in a very inconsistent way. And that's going to hurt a lot of people and push people away from him. Or we can proclaim the name of Jesus and try and reflect him the best, the best that we can. And that's going to have a part in healing people and bring people closer to him. Mm -hmm. Were most of the homes that you went to Christian homes, were they just a variety of people from different religious backgrounds? What were, what were most of them? I would say most of them were people who just, they just didn't, you know, they weren't religious or they weren't Christian at all. It was really my last two that, you know, like really, really like had religious practices and spoke about their faith very openly and, you know, like live lives where they, they wanted, they communicated that they wanted to live for Jesus. But all my other homes, um, maybe they were Christian, but I, like, we didn't go to church on Sunday or Mm -hmm. anything like that. Yep. Um, did you make any friends? Were any of the other kids who were in foster care, were you able to make friends with them or did they not encourage that? Yeah, making friends in the foster care system is just really hard because there's a lot of isolation because of the rules. And then um, in every home, it was just different, like who who I was in the home with. So my very first home was a group home of nine other young women and I think like just really none of us wanted to be there but I did love the girls Mm -hmm. and they taught me a lot um about the value of listening to people's stories and understanding how our stories relate to one another because we'd all live very similar lives but in terms of friendship now I think making friends in the foster care system is very hard because of the regulations that the foster care system had then as well as um you know people really stereotype you when you're in the foster care system. There's a lot of stigmas that come about being a kid in foster care. And I I had a really good friend in high school and I asked her, you know, do you want to come over or do you want me to come over? And we were kind of like making plans. And then she's like, I'm, I'm going to go to my dad. This is like when phones didn't, we didn't really have phones, but she's like, I'm going to go to my dad and then I'll come back and tell you, you know, you know, the next day at school. And she came back the next day and she said, yeah, my dad doesn't want us to hang out because you're a foster kid and he says that foster kids get in a lot of trouble so Mm. yeah it was really really hard to make friends yeah i bet now you talk about pretty openly about the trauma of the foster care system was the trauma abuse was it just feeling lonely what would you identify as the trauma that you experienced going home to home to home in the foster care system. Yeah, I'd say the most traumatic thing was probably the loneliness, not feeling like I belong, not feeling like anyone wanted me, um, trying to have a voice in my case and being ignored and silenced and disregarded. Um, I think there was, it felt like there was a lot of dehumanization mm-hmm. uh, in mm-hmm. the foster care system. Well, yes. I mean, not maybe not just from the people that are inside and maybe the homes, but you're right. People looking from the outside think clearly they're in there because they're troubled, their parents are troubled. But it is odd that you look at foster care kids as troubled kids when they're not necessarily troubled. It, it really is the biologic parents that are having the issues. Now, you face a lot of unique issues. You're biracial. Have you gotten a lot of criticism or been bullied because of that growing up? Um, I know. I would not say that I was necessarily bullied. I just felt like um, I didn't 
really it just added to that like not belonging uh not mm-hmm. knowing what community i belong to not knowing what family i belong to not knowing where i fall in society you know there's the one drop rule which means people look at me as black but then sometimes the black community says well you're kind of too light to like right right black. Or you don't yeah. hold a lot of the, like, the, maybe you don't hold similar beliefs. Or I really did grow up predominantly with white families. And so, mm-hmm. and when it comes to relating to black culture, I don't think that I relate to it very much um, mm-hmm. or understand, you know, the nuances of it and appreciate the nuances of it. Because I don't know if I can have the not that deep knowledge and understanding of it if I didn't grow up in it. So I think right. it just adds, yeah, I would say it adds to that piece of like, where do I belong? Mm-hmm. That's hard. I mean, that's very, very painful, coupled with loneliness and confusion and really sort of not having an attachment to one adult through your life. I mean, may, perhaps it was your mother, but I I wonder, did you form any deep attachments with any adults when you were growing up, any of your foster mothers or foster dad, or did you develop an attachment to your biologic mother? I would say that there's a woman who came into my life. Her name is Tanya, and Mm -hmm. she was a chaperone in my youth group. She was very gentle, very kind, encouraging. A lot of the things that I was just... I think craving for healing at a young age. She was a mother figure. I was always asking the question, even when I was young, like, how do I be a good mom? How can I be different? If I have kids, how do they grow up and experience something different than what I've experienced? And in watching Tanya, I felt like she gave me a lot of answers to that while also mothering me. Mm -hmm. So I felt like, yeah, I think that I I had an attachment to her. But then again, while in the foster care system, they put in a no contact order because that's what my mom wanted, my birth mom, because she was jealous of mine and Tanya's relationship. Mm. And so that, you know, that connection kind of broke off for a really long time. But now Tanya, um, I live like half a mile from her and she's one of my best friends. And I go to her house nearly every night and talk and there's a great attachment to her. And then I think there was also a great attachment to my track coach who, you know, just poured into me and loved me. And he welcomed me into his home, welcomed me into his family. And he's one of my best friends today. Yeah. Wonderful. Talk to us about your introduction to Christ and how that happened. Did you have a major conversion to faith during your life or did it come slowly? How did it happen for you? I would say it really started, it's so funny because I see it, you know, I see the conversion when I turned 17, but mm-hmm. God was in my life blatantly, like where I can look back and be like, oh, he was there when I was like 12, 13, I was living in a group home and I just wanted to get out. The school that we went to was on campus. So we really didn't leave the campus. We didn't go anywhere else. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to get off the campus, so I started going to church on Sundays. And through those messages, through the sermons, I was so encouraged, and I learned a lot about forgiveness. And that's how I kind of grew into forgiving my mom for the things that she said to me. And I remember my mom would come and visit me at the group home. She would say really harsh things to me. And when we lived together, I would always, like, say really mean things back. But I remember mm-hmm. her, like, being 12 at this group home and being like, remember what they said in the sermon. like. <laughs> Um, wow. Was, at, at 12 years of age. Yeah. At 12 years yeah. Of age. And I, wow. I remember just being like, be like, be nice. And like, 
stay calm, which like those are things that aren't necessarily like always biblical. But I remember thinking in that moment, like going back to church and wanting to be like the people that I met at the church because I thought that they were very kind. It was different from the people that I'd grown up with. And then um, kind of, you know, just walked away from the faith, stopped going to church when I moved from the group home, but then started going to church again with those 11th and 12th foster homes, really started being drawn towards God more and more, but still had a lot of anger towards God. Asked the question, why am I enduring so much suffering? Why have other kids endured so much more suffering than me? Really, like so many kids, right? Like they're innocent, but they have just went through egregious abuse. And I'm like, why? Like how? And listening to the sermons, I understood that you know, Jesus suffered and we are called to reflect him. And so sometimes that looks like suffering, but God promises us that our suffering, it's not wasted. It's never wasted. Right. So I kind of grabbed onto that hope and Mm -hmm. thought, okay, if I give my life to Jesus and trust him, then maybe this suffering, maybe all this pain that I've been through can actually be used for good. And in kind of moving towards that, and I wouldn't say it was like one day sold out, this is what I'm going to do. It was just like the skepticism, the scales of skepticism just kept being peeled from my eyes. And I started to move closer and closer to the character of Jesus, wanting to understand more about him and be like him, but was still upset too that he didn't give me a dad. I was like, that would have solved Mm -hmm. a lot of my problems. You know, I maybe wouldn't have went to the foster care system or I would have had someone able to rescue me when my mom was having one of her episodes. But Mm -hmm. it was through, you know, coming to him and trying to understand God more and more and asking hard questions to people in leadership at the church and to my foster mom and them giving space to those hard questions, not being offended or I guess like running away. As I asked those hard questions, I I understood too that God was my father. He was the father that Mm -hmm. I had been looking for and he had protected me and loved me and prepared me better than any earthly father ever could have. Isn't she amazing? And we're only just getting started. We need to take a short break, but get ready to hear the rest of Tori's story right after this. Welcome back to Parenting Great Kids. My guest is Tori Hope Peterson, and she's sharing her story of God's redemption as a former fostered youth. Let's jump back in. Often, if kids endure trauma and, you know, they learn you can't trust a lot of adults, perhaps you can't trust an adoptive parent, a foster parent, a biologic parent, they have a real difficult time trusting God the Father because they see him as a parent, which he is, symbolically to all of us. Was it difficult for you to embrace God the Father when you'd been so wounded by so many adults? I actually think that's what drew me towards God, understanding that he was my father, that I was no longer an orphan, that I was not a victim, but a victor. And that Mm -hmm. he, you know, he really loved me like a father, father could, because I think that's what I was searching for, for so, so long. Um, Mm -hmm. And I really could see in my foster care journey, right in the 11th foster home, how that had prepared me for the 12th. And how that had taught me how I want to walk my life out as a Christian, even though I don't always do it perfectly. 
I think that he just really prepared me and he taught me. And that's what a father does. Mm -hmm. God works on you in ways you have no idea when it's happening, but he certainly does. And, and I have no question that he was with you all along and just gently, gently, gently protecting you. You are married and you have three kids in your home. And how old are your kids? Leander, Azari, and Sar? Yes. I, I'm sure I I'm sure I botched the, the pronunciation. Yes, Leander is three years old. Azari is two year two years old. Those are our biological children. And then we adopted a young man named Sar. And he is 19 years old. And then we also have my sister, who I was separated from, now living in our home as well. Wow. A biologic sister. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So what was it like when you became a mother and you had never experienced a healthy, happy mom and dad, you and your husband married, and then you bring in these biologic kids. I mean, you were entering into a paradigm that was not familiar to you. Were you scared? Oh, yeah, I still am scared. I'm terrified of being a mother. It's scary and hard. And I never know if I'm doing it right. And I want to do it really well. But yeah, I have a lot of questions um, on if I'm good at this. And I'm, I'm scared every day. Being a mom is the scariest thing I've ever done. But I love my children so much. Um, and they make being a mom and all of the fear that comes with it, totally worth it. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I yeah. think I wouldn't say that I never experienced anything healthy because my mom did like try her best in a lot of ways. And there were moments, there were times um, that she poured out love and wanted to be nurturing. And there was also when I became pregnant, I knew that I needed to watch other moms, other good moms mm -hmm. be good moms. And so I was in my church community and I would like, I just ask moms like, Hey, can I come over? Um, stay at home moms who I knew would be home for the day. Hey, can I come mm -hmm. over? And I'll, like, I was like, I'll bring lunch. <laughs> um, yeah. just, <laughs> yeah. so then their kids would be fed and they would like not have to make another meal, but then I could like, just, and then I don't know if they knew that I was like watching them be a mom. I just, um, I would just act like I wanted to hang out, but I was actually really right. watching them be moms. And I was yeah. thinking, okay, like I want to do that. I want to, and this is what I have to do to do this or to do that. And I, I think that that is going into motherhood. That was, I'm still scared, but I think it's one of the things that made me less scared. And it gave me mm -hmm. a little bit more, I guess, guidance and ideas of how I wanted to be a mom, because I really only knew what I didn't want to do. I knew very exactly who I didn't want to be. And I knew um, I didn't want to just do the opposite. Um, I mm -hmm. wanted to figure out w exactly how to move forward in pairing. What are the two or three things that impacted you or that you experienced or felt in the foster care system that you want to make sure you don't give to your children mm. or that you want to give them the opposite of that? Well, I think I'll, I'll go with the thing that like the foster care system has taught me that I really want my kids to kind of take away. And that's, um, and also it, this is foster care and also how I've come to understand Jesus' character. And that's reaching mm -hmm. people on the margins and welcoming them in. Um, that's what people did for me. My track coach, my youth leader, my church community. There were people that told my track coach, like, wash your hands of that girl. She's trouble. She's going to get you in trouble. And he totally could have listened to them. 
but Mm. he poured into me and continued to love me and give me opportunities to show me who God created me to be. And so I hope my children see the value and not running away from people who are different than us um, and actually embracing the people who especially feel like they don't belong. Um, That's probably, that's one of the the biggest values in our family. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my kids are so young. And so I don't know if they'll, they'll like that. I think that it can Mm -hmm. be a very easy thing to rebel against, but I hope that in growing up with it, they see uh, the beauty, the redemption and the sanctification that come Mm -hmm. doing that. Well, I think a lot of that comes from watching you. You know, if they see you embracing people on the margins and you embracing them as valuable people in the eyes of God and made in the image of God, and just really, they will learn from the way that they see you treat and love those people. So are you a foster mom? My husband and I are going through the process of recertification right now. We recently moved states, so you have to go through the process all over again. So for those of us listening, who mothers and fathers out there who are listening and think, gee whiz, I want to participate. I want to do something. What would you encourage them to do? What would you as a foster child have needed from adults outside the foster care system? How can parents who are not involved help meet the needs of children in there? Well, the marketing in the foster care system is all wrong. It just tells people, be foster parents. And there's so much more that you can do and so many more ways you can get involved in. But if you look at the life of my track coach, if you look at what he did, he used what he had right where he was. People always think that my track mm-hmm. coach is like a teacher or a nonprofit worker, but he's a factory worker. And after he was done mm-hmm. with his work, he came and he was a track coach and he just loved the person in front of him. And he just showed up every day for me and encouraged me and spoke words of life over me. And I think mm-hmm. that we can all do that. I think that we can all just show up for the person in front of us, wherever you are, and love them and speak words of life in them because you never truly, you know, when he was doing that, we didn't know that it was going to be a book. We didn't know that it was going to be talked about on hundreds of podcasts. We just, Mm -hmm. he just thought like, this is the right thing to do. So simply just do Mm -hmm. the next thing in love. Mm -hmm. So simple, isn't it? It's so simple and we overcomplicate it. You know, we think, well, I need to say this or do this, but really you're absolutely right. It's about just showing up and being there and, you know, not being so critical and make judgments of people before you actually met them, because you're right. You, there's this stigma of being in a foster home. There's a stigma that I've seen of being a foster parent. Uh, a stigma of being a mother who had to surrender her child because of some kind of mental illness or, you know, alcoholism for, you know, other reasons. But really what I'm hearing you say is it's really just to be there and love on somebody and be consistent because I think it would be hard if you sort of were kind and nice and then you moved on. But it sounds like your coach just kind of stuck with you for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And he's still in my life today. He's the man who I call dad. He's who my kids call grandpa. He walked me down the aisle at my wedding. So yeah, 
he's just stuck by me. We only have a couple minutes left. What do you think are the main things that we need, we being uh, government, state um, organizations who run foster care, who support them? What are the biggest changes that need to happen in the foster care system? Well, I think we just all need to change the way we see. So kids in the foster care system, you know, they have their files and that speaks about the worst parts that, that the worst things have been done to them, the worst things that they've done, really the worst pieces of their life. And that's why there's so many stereotypes and stigmas around youth in foster care. But if we change the way we see, if we saw them as God sees them, as people made in the image mm -hmm. of God, people who are capable and worthy of love, then I think that'll change the way we interact with the foster care system as a whole. Mm -hmm. And how can we help foster parents? You know, we hear that foster parents often will foster a child because they're poor and maybe they need money. Perhaps they foster a child because they want kids of their own and they can't have them. There are a lot of different reasons that people move into fostering children. Is there a way that the system can teach and help and encourage foster parents who may not have the skill set to uh, foster kids? Like, it sounds like, you know, some of the parents that you lived with clearly didn't have the skill set to do that. And it could be really harmful for kids. What would you recommend there as far as helping foster parents be better foster parents? Foster parents definitely need more support. 50% of foster parents stop fostering after the first year because there's mm. such a lack of community support around them. So, um, you know, just bring them a meal once a month um, and, not, and don't ask, just do it. Because if you ask, like mm -hmm. they'll, they'll often say, no, like I'm good. So just doing yeah. it, um, bringing them something that a ministry I work with now, we, we just went to a foster mom and said, what's really important that you need support with? And they said, we just need like one date night. Like we haven't went on a date night in two years. And so yeah. we had one of, we yeah. asked one of the volunteers um, in our community. We said, hey, can you go watch their kids? And to do that, they had to go get like a whole respite certification. But and it took them like a month to do it, but they did it. And um, mm -hmm. like the the next month, that foster the, the foster parents went on a date night the first time in two years. And so really being able to put in the work alongside foster parents and asking them what they what they need. The last thing I'll say is we asked another foster mom, you know, what was important to her? What do they need? And they said um, laundry detergent and toilet paper because um, mm, yeah. they said our stipends that we get to help youth in foster care um, as when you're a foster parent, you do get paid a certain amount. You get paid a stipend. They said our stipends are staying the same, but everything that we're buying right now, the prices have increased. Right. Um, and so they said laundry and toilet paper have been like some of their biggest expenses, especially these families of like 10, 11, 12. And so we just did a, um, a laundry detergent and toilet paper drive and we wow. send it out to, to foster families. So just ask the people around you, the foster parents around you, what do you need? And if they say nothing, mm -hmm. just bring them something anyway. <laughs> bring them something. I love it. And, you know, foster parents are forgotten. We look at, you know, helping children and helping babies and helping single mothers and helping single fathers, but we never think about helping foster parents because we assume, oh, they've got it under control. And I, I love this because you're bringing to light the fact that foster families need help. 
They need all sorts of help. And one of the best things we can do for the kids in the foster care system is really to help the parents, the fostering parents. My guest has been Tori Hope Peterson, author of the book, Fostered. We are so grateful you're here. It's so lovely to see that God has pulled you through and that his glory shines through you as clearly it does. And I just hope your book becomes a bestseller all over. And um, it's just a wonderful book. So thanks for coming. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was my pleasure. Well, everyone, I hope this interview with Tori Hope Peterson was as meaningful to you as it was to me. It is so inspiring. Make sure to get a copy of her book and read it. It is so inspirational. It's called Foster, One Woman's Powerful Story of Finding Faith and Family Through Foster Care. All right, let's go over my points to ponder. One, if you know a foster care parent, help them. Foster parents work extremely hard. They function like parents, of course, but remember, they're parenting high-risk kids who've been hurt, traumatized, and they are angry. These children often take their anger out on foster parents and make their lives so hard. So help a foster parent. Offer to bring dinner, give them a break if you're allowed to, and just offer encouragement. Two, If you know a child in the foster care system, help them. Ask their foster parent what you can do to help the child. Sometimes kids just need another ear to listen to. Anyone can do this. And often it's emotionally a lot easier for an adult who isn't living with the child. Just one adult who comes in and shows care and compassion can make an enormous difference in the mental health of a child. Three, consider being a foster parent yourself. Well, this isn't a job for the week. It's a job which can make the difference in a child's life between failure and success, happiness or depression. Kids in the foster care system often get juggled around, moving from one house to another. This makes them feel unwanted, impossible to live with, and abandoned. And that's painful. Even if the foster home is a healthy home, when a child is made to move from one to another, it's extremely destabilizing. If you have the temperament, you're patient, compassion, and are very slow to get angry, consider being a foster parent. I want to give a very special thank you to my guest today, Tori Hope Peterson. You can find out more about Tori and order a copy of her book, Fostered, when you visit her website, ToriHopePeterson.com. That's Tori, T-O-R-I, Hope Peterson, with an E, dot com. Now let's recap my three points to ponder. One, if you know a foster parent, help them. Two, if you know a foster child, help them. And three, consider being a foster parent yourself. And friends, always remember, if you need encouragement or answers to any questions about your kids or relationships with them, go to my website, meekerparenting.com. I have courses and some brand new ones are coming and they're fabulous. I have tips and blogs and more to help you out. And if you know a dad who needs encouragement while you're there, Check out my brand new Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters Masterclass. And always remember, great kids are raised, not born. 